Hello, and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. Today, we're going to be finishing the theme of learning by focusing on the fourth stage of the heal process, linking. When we link, we use good experiences we have in the flow of everyday life to replace old, negative material that grows in the garden of the mind. To walk us through this, I'm joined by Dr. Rick Hansen. Dad, how are you doing? Good. So we don't normally do this, but before we got into the material of today's podcast, I just wanted to make a quick mention of something that happened recently. Uh, Our book, Resilient, on which all of this material is based, came out on March 27th. I'm really excited about it. This is the first book that's had my name anywhere approaching being on it. I think this is actually your fifth book. Is that right, Dad? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So it's old hat for you, but for me, it's new and exciting. If you're interested in purchasing Resilient, we'll drop a link into the description of this podcast if you're interested in checking it out and learning some more. Wonderful. So there's no smooth transition from there into the content of this podcast, but to kind of start us off, what do you mean by linking? Linking simply means being aware of two things at once, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. And the simple idea, based in the underlying neuroscience summarized in the saying, neurons that fire together, wire together, is if you get both positive and negative firing at the same time in your mind, and the positive is bigger and more prominent and more powerful than the negative, it naturally starts to associate with, soothe, and even eventually replace the negative material. And this is a great method for dealing with painful, stressful feelings in the moment, such as irritation or worry or hurt or resentment. And this is an even more powerful method for kind of going down into the basement of your own mind Mm. and digging out and removing old learned feelings of sadness or disappointment or other kinds of issues uh, left over from previous relationships, even stretching all the way back into childhood. Mm, Okay. So could you give just a very simple example of linking? Yeah. Um, Let's suppose a person is uh, getting ready to do some kind of meeting at work, maybe having to make a presentation or maybe having to meet with someone who's a little scary, mm-hmm. like the boss. Yeah. Right? And, and old feelings are getting stirred up, such as nervousness about being seen uh, giving a public speech, or maybe feelings related to being rejected or dismissed or put down. Those feelings are there. They're totally normal. They're standard. What a person can do is, one, be aware of those feelings without mm-hmm. trying to push them away, being mindful of them, and two bringing to mind matched resources, matched Mm -hmm. resource experiences, such as reassurance or the knowledge that your friends like you or remembering that your boss is stern but fair Mm -hmm. or uh, a feeling inside yourself, maybe from doing things physically, like in my own history of rock climbing, where you call up a feeling of, of inner fortitude and capability. Whatever it might be, you then call up those positive experiences alongside the anxiety and feeling of inadequacy related to this challenging event at work, say. Mm -hmm. And simply by doing that for 10 seconds, 20, 30, 40 seconds in a row, naturally, you can kind of soothe and calm yourself and over time, replace that negative material with something Mm -hmm. better. So that's how linking is working inside of a person's experience. They call up some good material, hold it alongside some negative material, and through some magical process, the good material <laughs> kind of woo-woos out the negative material. But how does that actually work inside the mind? The honest answer is that it's not entirely clear. Mm. 
And what I mean by that is that it is fairly clear that our experiences lead to lasting changes mm-hmm. in the brain. And it, um, that proce- those processes occur in many ways at many levels and many scales in the brain. On the other hand, what is actually happening in the brain, let's say, when a person is aware of both nervousness about mm-hmm. giving a presentation at work mm-hmm. alongside uh, feelings of calming and soothing and reassurance, for example, that's not entirely clear. And in particular, it's not entirely clear the detail of how, let's say, those experiences of calm and reassurance literally associate with physically uh, in a way that's measurable and discernible, let's say, with an Creating that neural change. Yeah, um, that is not entirely clear. What mm-hmm. is really clear is that the method works. And (laughs) there's a lot of research about it. I didn't invent it. This fundamental method is at the heart of so many forms of practical self-help and even deep psychotherapy for trauma. What I want to be here is really just sort of honest about the limits of what's known. But fundamentally, evidence of mental change must be evidence of neural change. Mm. So this stuff works somehow. (laughs) It it is kind of a, a very fair allusion to the limitations of our knowledge. And there are areas where, you know, brain science has grown enormously in the past Mm -hmm. 10 years, let alone the past 30 years. But there's still some stuff that goes on up there where we're just not quite clear exactly what's happening. Yeah. Oh, I will tell you, though, weirdly, where it is more clear is how we can heal and clear out old buried material Mm -hmm. that gets reactivated in the moment. Okay. For example, yeah. let's go back to the person, let's say, who's about to give a little talk at work. Mm-hmm. All right. And let's suppose that this person, in let's say a woman in her childhood, was repeatedly teased about her appearance. Mm-hmm. And let's suppose as well that she had, say, a critical step-parent who kept finding fault with her repeatedly. And even mm-hmm. let's suppose as well that she had one or two embarrassing episodes, maybe in theater or giving a speech at her yeah. Some public Some domain. event yeah. that just was a total disaster in seventh grade, and mm-hmm. she felt really humiliated and mortified by it. Yeah. All right. So what happens then if a person is going into a situation that triggers that old material? Technically, that old material is not stored as a complete movie of everything that happened, but is stored in a seed kind of way in the brain. In a, because that's a very efficient way to store material. And then when it is stirred up again by, let's say, having to give a talk at work, the seed of that old emotional painful material, including the body sensations of it, the emotions of it, the views of relationship, the attitudes toward oneself, and the ways of acting, all in that messy package, that material is reactivated and in effect, rebuilt mm-hmm. from those those seeds in a, in a way that's so fast, it seems like the whole thing is just stirred up again, yeah. but actually it's just rebuilt. And during that period of time, when it's rebuilt, it's vulnerable to disruption. And then when the person's attention shifts to something different, mm-hmm. that negative material goes back the rabbit hole of memory during a period of what's called reconsolidation. Literally, physically, it needs to be restored in emotional memory. Mm. And that process of being restored 
is physical, such that, for example, certain drugs can be given to rats. They're toxic for humans, but certain drugs can be given to rats that disrupt protein synthesis and literally can wipe the memory so it doesn't get restored. What this means for us in a practical standpoint, and there's pretty good evidence for this, is that we can draw upon the natural reactivation of that old painful material, or we can deliberately, if we want to, stir up that old painful material willfully. To give yourself an opportunity to change it. That's right. To give yourself an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. And then once it's reactivated, deliberately associate positive material to it. Mm -hmm. And then as a bit of a bonus benefit, during the window of reconsolidation, which is probably one to six hours long, Oh, wow, that's longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, six hours max, probably close to roughly an hour. During that period, especially the first hour, Mm -hmm. when the memory trace is most vulnerable to disruption during the reconsolidation phase, during that period of time, repeatedly, in your mind, associate to whatever the trigger was, Mm. like giving a talk Mm -hmm. or facing an authority figure. Deliberately think about the trigger which itself is neutral, mm-hmm. itself is neutral, and deliberately think about that trigger or remember it or see it or go back to that physical situation while also feeling comfortable, strong, contented, confident, and happy, etc. And that pairing again and again and again of something positive mm-hmm. to associate with the trigger will really help to disrupt the consolidation of the associations between the trigger and the negative material. Okay, so just to say this back to you, some stimulus happens, some experience happens, you have to give a presentation in front of a group of people. Yeah. This activates old, buried, negative, bad experiences that you had in the past that then get kind of reawoken by the similar experience that's happening in the moment today. Yep. That reactivation of that kind of kicks up the dust in the mind. And yeah, yeah, I mean, just putting it as simply as possible. And you can drop into a more positive experience while that dust is being kicked to kind of help it resettle more gently to sort of stretch the metaphor to its breaking point here. By bringing up those positive experiences, you then lighten the effect to which that negative material is reconsolidated. You put something different alongside it. What do you mean by that exactly? I mean, there are two great opportunities here Mm -hmm. to clear out the past. Okay, yeah. In the first way, while that negative material is active in your own mind, Mm -hmm. while you're feeling, for example, uh, anxious or contracted or nervous about sticking your neck out in this meeting you've got Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. lead, while you're doing that, bring to bear positive material, ideally that's matched to it, that's soothing, encouraging, confidence building, and so forth. Just that will tend to build associations of positive to the negative material. So then when the negative material goes back down the rabbit hole, it takes those positive associations with it. Okay, yeah. That's the first thing you can do for yourself. Second, when you're no longer stirred up negatively, during the hour or so after you've been doing the practice, the first practice I described, deliberately be aware of what the stimulus was the neutral stimulus, like the opportunity to give a talk at work, Mm -hmm. while being very aware of things that are positive, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what that will do is disrupt the brain's attempt to uh, restore the association between the neutral stimulus, like giving a talk or facing an authority figure, and the negative experience, and the negative material. Gotcha. So you're literally snipping the mm-hmm. links in the mm-hmm. chain of association uh, in the second method I'm describing here okay. between the trigger stimulus and the negative associations. So that mm-hmm. then increasingly, when you are, in this example, going to give a talk at work or address an authority figure, more and more, you're able to do it without feeling triggered. You've given kind of a general sense of how somebody might do this where an event happens to them, it stirs up negative material, and in a kind of general way, they think about something positive alongside it. Would you mind going into a bit more detail about what things might they think of that could be powerful for them in that moment? What kind of positive material could be useful for them? Yeah, great. So let's suppose that a person is going into a situation, a social situation, mm-hmm. that makes them nervous. Yeah. So what people routinely do are two things that are problematic. One thing people do is that when they are having that kind of negative material arise, they just feel helpless in the face of it. Mm -hmm. They are swept away by it. They're hijacked by it. They might still be able to walk and talk, but they're caught up in the movie, uh, the storm of this crud. Second thing that people do that's problematic is they notice it and then they suppress it. They Mm -hmm. shove it down. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when you shove experiences down in your body, they get stored there. And they don't go away. And in fact, they haunt you even more than ever Mm -hmm. over time. The better way, so that's what you're asking me what to do, is to notice that you're getting upset, you're understandably triggered, and then bring to bear alongside that upset things like compassion for yourself that we talked about in the very beginning of this series of podcasts that we're doing this year. Compassion for yourself. Or bring to bear the sort of memory from your body, your emotional memory, your somatic memory of times in the past when you gave a talk or you stood up to an authority figure or you were open and vulnerable in a relationship. Any one of these things, by the way, is naturally anxiety-provoking. Bring to mind the body sense of being successful at this in the past. Mm. That's a natural antidote for anxiety about presenting yourself in some way. Or last, another example is you could bring to mind the feeling of people who like you. Mm. Your dog likes you. Your friends like you. Your grandmother loves you. And um, as you bring to mind those who are allies, I call it your caring committee, um, that is a natural soother and compensator for those feelings of social anxiety. That makes a lot of sense to me. Because my sort of internal question was, well, there are a lot of good experiences out there, right? I can think about a lot of things alongside anxiety. You know, I'm enjoying my coffee, or I had a fun night last night, or whatever it might be. So it seems like what you're describing are positive experiences that are quote-unquote antidotes to the negative experience that the person is having in that moment. Kind of how we were talking about with key resource experiences in the previous episode. Exactly. Yeah, so you want to find... What's matched? Yeah, a matched positive experience to kind of remove that negative experience over time. Is that more or less accurate? 100%. Great. So in your work and in my experience of your work, in the heal process, have, enrich, and absorb, 
seems like this very fundamental, very clear line, you know, of how to turn a positive experience into a positive strength. You know, you yeah. experience something good, you make it big in the mind, you absorb it into your body. Bam. You're kind of done. I mean, yep. you're not done done, but you're kind of done. Yeah. And then linking has always been kind of, of the four, the one held to the side a little mm -hmm. bit. You often say, you know, this is optional. You don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Only engage this if it's useful for you. Yeah. It's this kind of other thing. And I'm just wondering why is it that you positioned it that way in this overall framework yeah. of heal that you have? And what are some of the pitfalls that people run into when they're doing the linking process that kind of makes it so you have to give those caveats? Yeah. There are two reasons why I think the link step is optional. The first is that it's not inherently necessary for acquiring mm. inner resources, psychological resources of various kinds. It's not inherently necessary. The second reason is that it's risky sometimes. Deliberately engaging negative material for many people uh, is overwhelming. They get hijacked by it. Uh, do not underestimate the power of the dark side of the force, <laughs> right? Or in the Hippocratic Oath, the foundation mm -hmm. of medicine, first of all, do no harm. Mm -hmm. So it's for those two reasons that I just name it as optional. That said, linking is used routinely in everyday life. It's also at the center of much psychotherapy and coaching. And do-it-yourself linking, I can speak from experience here, is an incredibly powerful way to help yourself deal with the negative stuff in the moment. And it's an incredibly powerful way to clear out the old crud stored in the basement of your mind. Now, before I go further, I got to make it clear, negative material is not bad. Hmm. It's just painful. And it's often harmful as well. Feelings of anxiety or sadness, hurt or anger, these are natural feelings. These are natural experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and yet in them is inherently a fair amount of suffering and also a fair amount of wear and tear on the body. And over time, often a fair amount of negative ripples, problematic ripples fanning out into our relationships. So it's, it's in that context I'm talking here. So for me, the underlying power of linking and the idea behind it is that it gives us this third option for how we engage mm. negative material or negative experiences. You've basically named the other two over the course of this podcast. We can either kind of be hijacked by it, we can get reactivated, we can feel the feelings in a very unvarnished kind of way yeah. where we don't really have any control over them. Alternatively, we can push it down, we can suppress it, we can kind of shove it into the basement of the mind. Or related to that, mm -hmm. uh, live small. Yeah, live small, it. get worried by it, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. But as you've mentioned in previous episodes, the mind's kind of like a septic tank, you know? <laughs> if you put something bad in there, it tends to stick around. It doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And then inevitably, there's that return of the repressed yeah. where it kind of comes back and it tends to come back bigger and stronger than it was when you pushed it down. Yeah. So Lincoln gives us a third option. It gives us an option where we experience the material, where we can process it and where we can eventually, over time and, and through skillful effort, replace it with something um, much less painful. Yeah. So would you mind giving a little bit more detail yeah. in terms of the actual tactics for how somebody would do that when they're linking? Mm -hmm. Definitely. First, I want to make a, for me, useful distinction between wounds and deficits mm. in terms of negative material. Yeah. A wound is essentially the presence of the bad, while a deficit is the absence of the good. So for example, a person might have been repeatedly bullied in school 
That would be the presence of the bad. Or a person could have simply been neglected, left out, not really seen or included. In that case, it's more of the absence of the good. Both of these are opportunities for healing yourself Mm -hmm. through using linking, and it's helpful to be aware of both of them. Second, if you're going to engage the negative material, first of all, do no harm, as I said, and I think it's helpful to think of sort of three loosely distinct levels of engagement with the negative material. The first level is to be aware of simply the idea of it. For example, the idea of having been bullied in childhood, or the idea of having lost a parent to illness when you were just 10 years old, or the idea that in a previous relationship, uh, it was really uh, abusive to you. Okay, so you're aware of the idea of it. This is probably the least intense or powerful or effective way to engage the negative material, but it's also the safest. Mm. The second level of engagement is to have more of a felt sense, an emotional sense, or an embodied somatic sense of the negative material. For example, not simply conceptually knowing that you were in fact bullied as a kid, but getting more of a sense of how that felt for you, then, mm-hmm. how it landed on you, how it, how it was upsetting, or it made you feel worthless, or a kind of frustrated anger. So you're having a sense of it. And then the third level of engagement with the negative material is one in which you really sense that the positive material is not merely present in your mind alongside the negative material, bigger and larger and in the foreground of the stage of awareness. Uh, But in addition to that, you have a sense of the positive material going into Mm -hmm. the negative. So, for example, you might have a sense of feelings of potency and capability, uh, maybe as an athlete today or as a determined and strong person, really going into young, vulnerable, deep places inside that felt weak and small and unworthy as a child. Or you might have a sense of people today who cherish and include you and value you kind of sinking down into hollows inside, empty, longing, hungry places inside that just did not get enough of that. Or you might have a sense of uh, a wisdom perspective coming in as an adult that's um, helping to uh, correct and shift old beliefs Mm. uh, grounded in earlier life experiences. So for example, you might, uh, let's say, have the understanding that The truth is you're actually a really determined and capable person who had some bad luck. You ended up in a school situation maybe with some real jerks there in the upper grades, or maybe you just misunderstood some of what was Mm -hmm. happening to you. And a modern, wiser, more adult perspective can sink in, can go into Mm -hmm. the negative material. And then to finish on this, the deepest way to use this third way of engaging the negative has to do with what I call pulling the tip of the root. Mm -hmm. As a kid growing up in Los Angeles, I weeded our front yard a lot. And what I noticed is that if I was lazy and just kind of nipped off the tippy top of the dandelion, the darn weed would grow back. (laughs) I had to get all the way Mm -hmm. down to the tip of the root. And a person can kind of feel that there's a deep underlying root, which often has a quality in it that's young and pre-verbal even and very a sort of basic and elemental. So if you get a sense of the positive material 
sinking down into and being developmentally matched to the negative material. In other words, not trying to give a lecture to the emotions, the emotional residues inside you of a one-year-old. That doesn't mm-hmm. really work. Mm-hmm. If the negative material is linked to something or associated with something or based on something that happened in adulthood, giving your sense self a lecture speaks to it. So you're you're feeling that you're feeling the positive experience on the same level of for lack of a better way of putting it, like my instinct here is to say on the same level of id as like the yeah. negative experience. Like if you're if you had a very deep emotional nonverbal experience as a child mm. going through a very intellectual exercise around, yeah. oh, you know, people really do like me because of X, Y, and yeah. Z reasons yeah. may not be very helpful. That's right. It kind of sits on the top. And mm. you're this is a kind of a detail, yeah. but that's very useful to realize that uh, memory gets stored in the framing of the age of the person who's wow, laying okay. down that emotional yeah. track. These are these deep emotional tracks. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work to try to get at them uh, in ways that are more conceptual or abstract. And that's why a lot of people superficially deal with their negative material, mm. but they're still haunted by it. They're still yeah. triggered by it. And so it's actually quite helpful, if you can, to kind of know how young the tip of the root is, and then to imagine what would have been appropriate for a kid that age, a 10-year-old or a 10-month-old, and then see if you can focus on those aspects of the positive material, in other words, probably aspects that are more sort of primal and soothing and tactile. Yeah, that kind of nonverbal form of communication, whether it be felt emotional experience or even just physical touch or comfort, whatever it might be. That's right. And, And also, just to be clear, often the occasion for positive material is while interacting with other people. Mm. So I do this, have done this quite routinely, while interacting with people who are comforting and friendly and you know buddies or my wife, at the same time, I'll get a sense of the most elemental qualities of that experience, the touch, the mammalian primate comfort. Yeah, two, two dogs, two cats yeah. curled up in each other, yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah, just with each other, not making it weird or anything, but just tracking those primal, deep, mm-hmm. ancient, Soothing uh, feelings. Yeah, qualities yeah. of it. And feeling that those are touching that little boy inside me whose mother was preoccupied with my sister who had just been born sure. and who really didn't have much time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no criticism of my mom. That's and yet, pretty normal. Yeah, and yet it, I, it, there was the absence of the good in mm-hmm. my own case deep down. So as we've described so far, linking is a very powerful tool for people for, yeah. for deep healing. But you're a longtime therapist. You've seen a lot of things go sideways in your office and outside of it. And I'm just wondering if you have any cautions for people around engaging that difficult material. The great question. So first I would say, if you get hijacked by it, drop it. Mm-hmm. There are three conditions for being able to do linking. First, a person needs to be able to hold two things in awareness at the same time. And uh, it can take a little practice in the beginning, Mm -hmm. which is why mindfulness training is helpful and why little children or adults who are dementing or drunk or delirious are not able to do linking well. Mm. Other people around them can support them in doing linking, but they themselves have a hard time with the executive functions that are necessary to hold two things in awareness at once. 
Second, a person needs to be not hijacked by the negative and swallowed up by it. And I've known many people who had a lot of personal growth background, many of them therapists, who are surprised by the power of the negative material, especially the deeper, younger layers of it. And then the third condition for doing linking is you need to be able to keep the positive bigger than the negative. Otherwise, instead of the positive purifying the negative, in effect, the negative will contaminate the positive. So those are conditions for doing it on your own. Separately from that, um, while it's really useful to do this on your own, if you can maintain those three conditions and it's helpful for you, there's also a special power in doing linking with someone who's very skillful about it mm-hmm. and has a lot of professional experience, especially if you're grappling with trauma, traumatic material, and or you're grappling with long, deep-seated patterns of behavior. Sometimes people can see things about us that we can't see ourselves. Uh, doing linking on your own material, it's like trying to see your own eyes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I just want to be clear that I'm not proposing that people do do-it-themselves therapy to replace yeah. what would be properly served by working with a professional. Great. That seems like a good note to end on. To give a quick recap, so today we talked about linking, which is something that a person can do to replace old negative material when it's stirred up in the mind. We looked at an example of somebody who is maybe going into a meeting or some other public situation, and how when they're activated and, for lack of a better word, triggered by that experience, the negative material comes up. What positive experiences can they look for and hold alongside that negative material so it actually gets reconsolidated in the brain in a different way than it would otherwise, bringing those positive connotations with it rather than the old negative ones that had been kind of attached to it for so long. We talked a bit about how linking actually works in the brain in terms of both what we don't know about how the brain works and what we do know about how the brain works. We then had a quick conversation on some of the practical ways that somebody can do linking, and particularly in matching the right kinds of experiences to the kinds of difficulties that the person is experiencing. Related to that, you had this great comment that I, I mean, for me, I'd heard you say something similar to it before, but just the way that you phrased it here, I think was really nice about matching the level of the experience to the level of the injury memory. Yeah. So if you were a child and something bad happened to you, it's not necessarily going to be useful to bring a lot of intellectual material into the picture when you're trying to remedy that experience. It makes a lot more sense to drop into the felt level, the emotional level, really kind of think about the positive experience you're having now through the lens of that child and how that child might have felt if they had had that experience themselves. Then finally, to close, you gave a couple of quick cautions about doing linking, why it's sort of the the redheaded stepchild of the heal process and how have, enrich, and absorb are sufficient for building positive strengths inside the mind. But linking is on its own this really powerful tool that we have in our arsenal that changes how we can engage negative experiences. Yes, and to be clear, I like redheaded stepchildren. We have nothing against redheaded (laughs) stepchildren. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And until next time, thanks for listening. 